I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Elland Road. I'm John McKenzie and I'm joined by so many people that I'm not going to bother personalising introductions for them all. There's four of us today, in no particular order, Darren Driver, Joe Hill and Tom Alderson. Tom. Hello. You are new to this podcast. Yes. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you get into supporting Leeds uh, and uh, what does your Leeds fandom look like? Um, so my Leeds fandom doesn't look very good to start with. Um, <laughs> I'm a Leeds fan because my uh, dad was a Leeds fan. But um, I've lived in Stockport my whole life, which is just uh, south of Manchester for anyone that doesn't know. So all everyone around there is a City or United fan, basically. Um, so no one really cares about younger um, United fans don't really care about Leeds because they just think they were League One, they were League One club at the time. Um, mm. And I think the first time, well, whenever anyone asked me um, who I supported, I said Leeds, but I just it was more like a passing interest. And I think the first time I thought, oh, I really enjoyed, I'm, I'm a proper Leeds fan, was after the United game in the FA Cup because it was like the first time I've had a chance to discuss it with my mates. And sort of give a bit of a stick about it. And so it's sort of been from there, I would say, sort of proper Leeds fans over the last 10 years. So, yeah, my, my time as a Leeds fan has not been very good at all. <laughs> and we've uh, got a piece from you in up on the website this week, uh, or maybe last week, but we're going to talk about that later on a piece about Helder Costa. So I'm looking forward to that. But before we get onto all of that, let's just cover a little bit of the news. Um, Daniel Ayala, we need to talk about. I don't know if any of us want to talk about him, but I, I think we should. Darren, I'm sure you've got strong views on on Daniel Ayala. What have you What have you got for us? Well, just seeing the news that he's refusing to sign a new contract at Middlesbrough, um, and I keep con- seeing these constant kind of rumours that that Art has made him his number one target, or that um, that that were very interested in. Ayala plus one other centre half, presumably wanting to cover for Ben White and Berardi, who, who, who maybe look like they'll be out of the door in in the summer. Um, I'm I'm not thrilled by the news. I'm I'm not a fan of him at all. I, he's, I, I'm I'm sure he's you know got got some some decent skills and 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 is able to do some good defensive work, but he just irritates the shit out of me, and I I I don't want another. You know, he's not the sort of player I think we need through the door. He seems to be very kind of, he seems to be a bit like Pontus Janssen, but without any of the pace or or um, ability to read a football match. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Presumably, well, I don't know. Presumably, he would be a backup to whoever we would bring in for Ben White because he just feels like the complete antithesis to Ben White. He's mm. good at heading and d- defending, whereas Ben White is good at like intercepting and carrying the ball. Um, and this this rumor has rumbled on and on and on for the last three years. Apparently, Victor Orta likes him, um, but I don't know. I don't. I I don't know whether or not I think that the the rumors are really true because I think what's happened is the media have got hold of Daniel Ayala, 
um, as, as a story, which is obviously a story. A player refusing to play for their club is is a big story. But I, I, so many of the of the the sort of media outlets that are going to cover him are going to try and attach his name to the the biggest rumor that you can. Um, attach his name to because they know that Leeds United fandom will will pick up on that and generate traffic. So I wonder whether or not it's more to do with that. But Joe, what do you think um, when it comes to Daniel Ayala? Yes or no? It's going to be a no from me. I think <laughs> probably the rumours are a bit something of nothing. Um, I think the media like to speculate, and obviously it's big news him refusing to play, but. I'm not. I'm not sure that he would be a good fit at Leeds. Um, although I do, I do trust the scouting department more than I more than I have done in recent years. With you know picking up Ben White, um, who I'd never heard of before this season, and obviously he's been one of our best players this year. Um, so obviously, I'm sure they. I'm sure they know what they're on about. I'm sure they're doing their research. But um, I think there's some better options out there for me. Yeah, friend of the podcast, Matt Keegan's Wood, is actually doing uh, a bit of a study into Orta's transfer record at Leeds, which should be quite interesting. Um, and it will be interesting to see what he throws up there. Um, and yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if Leeds are actually in for Ayala. Because I suppose Ayala is going for a free. Leeds have a, a very, very thin defence when it comes to centre-back so it it may be the case that they just pitch in for him and, and sort of rather than having to amortise a transfer fee transfer fee, just throw it all into his wage bill and, and see where they get that gets them but I don't know, I'm not sure I'm not sure that, that, that someone like Daniel Ayala is going to be happy p- p- playing on the bench for most of, most of his time at Leeds. So um, let's move on from this, actually. I don't want to talk about it too long, but we should have a, just a quick talk about Pablo Hernandez. Rumours swirling around that um, that he has picked up a, an injury. Um, now, my, my sources at the club are not particularly uh, auspicious at the best of times, but I've from what I've heard, no one at the club is really worried about Hernandez. Um, it was just a knock he picked up in training and there's the expectation that he will be back from that, no problem. Um, ha- um, let's go to let's go to you, Tom. What, what would the impact of losing Pablo Hernandez be at the beginning of the season? Would, you, would that be a, a really big miss? Um, I think it would be especially for the Cardiff game because they're likely to sit back and defend um, and he's the sort of player we need for that game. Uh, to break down the defence. I don't think we obviously don't have another player like him. So, but apart after that, I think, I don't know, it's supposed to be only a knock. So you'd imagine if he misses card, if he'd be back for Fulham. Um, but you, you definitely those first two two games, especially, um, you'd want him in the team, really. If Pablo Hernandez isn't in the team, Darren, what, what expectations do you have for the way that Leeds will set up against Cardiff? I think it'd be like for like they would put Robertson into, into Pablo's slot. Um, I'm never as worried about Pablo being out when Tyler Roberts is fit and vice versa. Um, I think that I've, I've seen a few people kind of saying that they, that they would probably put Dallas in, in that centre spot. But generally when Pablo has been out and Roberts has been fit, Roberts has been the one that's taken that spot. Right. We'll, we'll talk about the Cardiff game in more detail later on after we have our uh, Cardiff preview. We've spoken to a, a Cardiff opposition fan. <laughs> from here we're just going to spend a little bit of time I think just talking about the two years of Bielsa because yesterday was the the second anniversary of Bielsa arriving at the club and it was nice to see a lot of stuff out on Twitter yesterday actually just um, running over Bielsa's time at the club. Joe two years of Bielsa probably the best two years certainly probably of your Leeds United fandom Um, what's what's the two years of Bielsa look like for you? Yeah it's been it's been fantastic you know it's um I feel like the the past couple of years, everything in the club has sort of come together as a unit. It seems like the players, the staff, you know, the groundsmen, and ev- everyone's just been behind the club with this one goal of getting us back to the Premier League. And Bielsa has just done that for us. He's, he's just brought his mentality in. And, uh, you know, no one really knew what to expect at the start. We all knew that he was... El Loco, you know, he was going to bring some sort of mad traits to the game. But um, the players just took to it from from the opening game. I think it was Stoke at home, was it? Um, you know, that was just unbelievable, that game. It just looked like a completely different team. And you could just feel the atmosphere around Ellen Road. And you could just feel everyone thinking, 
he's he's got us all on the right track and he's united us all which has been amazing yeah i think it's notable that we started as a as a media outlet in the bielsa era because i don't think we would have been able to do the sort of stuff that we do during well we i mean we would have done but we wouldn't have got quite so much um purchase on on what was going on had it not been for the fact that that bielsa came in and and sort of revolutionized leads from a from a tactical um point of view um i'm interested to hear from you guys like to what extent do you think Bielsa has impacted the way that you look at football? Has he changed the way that you watch it? Has he changed the way that you enjoy football, Tom? Um, so I always thought that like once a player sort of got to about twenty five, turned professional, like they couldn't improve, and like you, you were seeing loads of teams having to spend loads of money, like sort of City having to uh, buy fifty million pounds worth of fullbacks just to play the way they want to play, and it was it was nice to see Bielsa come in and sort of stick with most of what the squad that finished 13th and produce this unbelievable football. So, yeah, it's, it's, I think that that's where um, was missing in the, the modern game and um, it just shows the impact a good coach can have. I think Bielsa's um, impact on both the way I view football but also on, on you know the club has been incredible. So, f- for years before Bielsa came in, I was always having discussions with my mates which were along the lines of, do you know, it'd be really nice just to talk about the football for a bit instead of about who owns the club and about what they're doing and about what they're building and yada, 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 all sorts of boring nonsense that were nothing to do with football. And from the moment Bielsa walked through the door, that's what the focus has been. It's been about everything in the club has been set up to make the football team as good as it can possibly be. And that's been just really amazing. Um, in terms of like his his, his, his impact on me, I, I, I just find myself really really enjoying watching us play um and that's irrespective of you know whether we, whether we win draw or lose i know that i'm going to see something impressive that i'm going to see something that's well thought through um and and i can't honestly say that i've ever seen that as a leeds fan before you know as i've i've followed the club for 30 years and there have been good points and high points and within that you know the early wilkinson years were, were fantastic um in my first couple of years as a fan but um He's really, really completely reinvigorated my, my love for football and my love for the club. It's as simple as that. And I suppose underlying the whole uh, next nine games or so is just this notion that it could be the last nine games we see with Marcelo Bielsa if we if we don't make it to the Premier League. Um, and I wonder how many of us are actually rooting for us being in the Premier League on the basis of the fact that it's a way of guaranteeing, almost guaranteeing, I should say, Bielsa for for at least another year. Um, what does the club look like after Bielsa goes? Um, how do we feel about uh, a Bielsa-less Leeds United? I think it's quite a scary thought if that is going to be in the Championship. Um, I don't like to think about it too much, but if if we somehow manage to mess it up and we end up in the championship again next season and Bielsa goes and Phillips probably goes and you know you're just looking at another rebuild and another few years before I I feel that we will be excited about watching Leeds again um, and going fighting for promotion again um, in terms of if we get if we do get promoted and Bielsa stays for a year and then another coach comes in um I don't feel too bad about that. I feel, hopefully we can get a, a, a nice mid-table finish in the Premier League and then you know we can we can set ourselves up to be a a steady Premier League team. Um and I don't think that Bielsa would just leave us uh leave us hanging in that in that sense. Um so it really depends on what happens in the next 9 games. I'm interested in whether or not you guys think that the club is almost thrown all their eggs in one basket with Bielsa because it does what we've seen I think under under the the current ownership has been this realization that you you know you can you can really get a fire, you can really get an edge in competition in competitive terms simply by spending money on a coach rather than players um we haven't seen a huge amount of money being poured into into the 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 squad although i think that's been more of the case since um since Bielsa's first season um and you mentioned there, uh, Joe, that if if we don't make it this time round, then it feels as though you're, you're sort of starting the rebuild all over again. And I, I guess without Bielsa, the question is, what what's left? Um, 
we're we're gonna have the same. We're gonna have a squad who you know largely was was finishing mid table still, um, and we're not gonna have uh, the the coach who really uh, galvanised them. And I wonder whether or not we think that that the club has almost tried to short termism it. We had a bit of a conversation about this in the first part of the season um, on the radio show when we were running that, um, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. So, Darren, have you got any thoughts on this? What do you think about the the, the attitude that the, the owners have taken with this? Is it simply the case that they've th- thrown all their eggs in one basket, as I said, with Bielsa, and if that fails, are we just back at square one, and, and will we see huge upheavals in the club? I think they have, but I'm not sure what other the other way there is to be successful in the championship. I think every club in the championship is predicated on a short-term boom-or-bust type arrangement, and, and that's purely to do with the, the finances of football, isn't it? I guess. I think that I think you're right. I think that um, we would we would be back to square one, and that that would include in terms of ownership, not just in terms of the football side of things. I think. If we were not to to get to the Premier League this year, I think Rad Rosani would be would would go. I think with that, Victor Orta would go probably back to Spain, where I know he's had some quite lucrative offers in in the last couple of years. Um, and yeah, I, I dread to think what the state of the football club would be next summer. In that sense, you know, Bielsa's ruined football forever because it's never going to be as good <laughs> as it is right now for me. Um, and I've kind of come to terms with that over the last couple of years. That, that I'm at a peak, really, in terms of what what we see and 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 how much I enjoy what happens at Elland Road at the moment. But yeah, I dread, I dread to think. I think if you just like go just to the off the pitch stuff, there's a lot of fans that are re-engaged with the club now. Um, so I think even if he, the worst happens, he leaves. Victor Orta leaves. Ev- everyone leaves that we love. Um, I think there's just a feeling around the football club will still be there. To an, to an extent, and it, you'd think we'd probably go back to being a playoff team at best next year, but I think the effect he's had on the overall fan base and around the club, I think that'll probably be more of his legacy than the football. Yeah, and I think he would probably be proud of that fact as well. I think he, if there's anything that we get from Bielsa, it's this notion that he's actually considers the football club to be at the heart of the of the community and, and an important sort of... I don't know. It's a sort of important hub for for people in Leeds and in and around Leeds, and um, I'm sure he would be be proud to go away and, and say, you know, I made the people of Leeds fall in love with football again. But before we um, descend into into sobbing um, and tears about the the imminent future of of our club, let's move on to talk about what we tend to talk about on this podcast which is the the tactics and stats that underlie the football that is going on at Elland Road. So Tom last week you wrote a piece on Helder Costa could you just briefly sort of summarize your piece what is it that you look to do and what was it that you found? So I think there's been a lot of criticism this season about Costa um, about his sort of lack of goals and even lack of an um, assist to an extent so I kind of wanted to look at um, how his season of the championship um, varied and why he did better in what, what um, at Wolves than he did now. And I, d- I don't know about you, but I always thought that both seasons of the championship at Wolves, he absolutely lit up the league. But it was only really that first season where I think he got 10 goals and five or six assists. Um, but at that point, he was like the focal point of the team. They, they didn't have all the like the Diego Jotters that they had and the ne- uh, Neves. Um, so, so, yeah, the first season... He was just basically their whole attack, and all all they did was get the ball and um, kick it to him as quickly as they could and try and isolate him against the fullback, and um, basically then basically give the ball to Costa and hope he does something. And then when they got the sec- uh, better players in the second season, he was like n- not even really that important in the team. Um, but what was I found really interesting in the uh, doing the research was how similar his role was um, in that second season at Wolves to what it is um, at Leeds now, and how he's like he was dropping deep to get the ball, and then um, it, his main role was in the transition play. So I think it almost says that like Victor Orta knows what he's doing. Um, but yeah, so I found I think he's he was dr- dropping deep. Um, in this season as well that was mainly his main role and I think I don't know about you but we didn't have that sort of player um, last year that could beat a man by dribbling 
Um, but yeah, that, that that was the main bit that he. Well, I don't think we'll see him have another season like we did um, in his first season at Wolves, where he got loads of goals and loads of assists. Because he's never going to be the focal point of the attack at Leeds, and he, I think he overperforms really in that Wolf season. But I think the the main role he will have in any team going forward is in the transition play and uh, dribbling with the ball. And that is definitely his biggest strength and he's very very underrated and it's something you can't really quantify. So everyone will always say, oh, he's not got that many goals and assists. But yeah, he's, he's so much more than that. What I was really interested in actually was just rereading the piece this morning, how similar the role that he played in the first season at Wolves was to what Jack Harrison does for us now, which is, I mean, we talk all the time about, you know, isolating, overloading on the right to isolate on the left. Um, and we've never really seen Costa play that way. Um, and I, I, I guess my question would be whether or not you ever anticipate that Costa would be moved into that sort of position or whether or not you think that, that Harrison is going to be so, solid there um, or whether or not you think that, that Bielsa and Orta consider his um, his upside to be exactly what you've said, you know, the ability to, to transition um, quickly and, and get progressive um, ball progression. Ball progression, I think, was maybe something that we struggled with a little bit last season, like you said. And um, I think this season now... With 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 having Costa as a, a sort of slightly deeper player in the in the he plays the Hernandez role right and um, Hernandez isn't gonna isn't gonna beat players um, by pacing them down the down the wing out wide um, so I wonder whether or not he sort of saw uh, Costa as a potential um, Hernandez replacement plus with the added um, bonus that you could do this this the this sort of ball progression through dribbling um, as an upside on that but. Uh, I'll just split those questions up again uh, because I sort of waffled a little bit there. So the first one was: um, with do you do you ever anticipate Costa being played in a, in a sort of Harrison position, which is on the left with a supporting fullback in in a very advanced position with the with the remit to just hit the byline and get the ball back? You might start to see that when Hernandez starts to play less because with Hernandez operating in like the right inside channel, the ball so we, all our play comes down that side, um, especially with like Ailing to an extent on that side as well. Um, and then we overload on that side and switch the ball to Harrison. So when Hernandez leaves, we might see that we try and do that on both flanks. Or, um, but I think that yeah, when Hernandez retires or plays less, it'll be when uh, Costa play. Uh, sorry, um, when Hernandez plays left, that'll be when we'll see more from Costa. I think. Let's switch to you guys. Firstly. What did you make of the piece, Joe? Did you find out anything that you didn't really expect to find about about Costa? Yeah, he plays deeper than I pictured him this season. Even um, there's some there's some great sort of three D graphics um, on the piece, which um, I urge everyone to check out because they're fascinating and um, the whole piece is. But um, yeah, that it really just punctuates that he's he's playing a lot deeper this year. Um, and like you say, focusing on the pro- progressing the ball rather than just sort of standing um, at one end of the pitch and just waiting for the switch to be played to him. Um, so I found those graphics really interesting, and I think that I think that that's the way it's going to stay. So long as at least to the end of this season, I think Tom's right that when Hernandez starts to play less or retires, that um, you know his role could change, but. I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye out for for what Costa does now because it's really opened my eyes to to that kind of thing. What do we think about the trajectory of of Costa? Do because I think there's a there's a there's a group of people one who think he's underperformed anyway, but there's also a group of people who I think are under the impression that he's going to suddenly light up and start being the player that he was in that first season at Wolves. Darren, what do you what do you think that the trajectory of of Costa at Leeds looks like? It's funny because, as as you kind of alluded to at the start, a lot of fans have kind of um, said that that he's underperformed or, or or whatever it might be. But but I think the, there are two things at play here. One is that wingers are always inherently frustrating because they've got some of the most difficult tasks in football, which is to create space and create opportunities for other people. Um, and I think that in terms of his input in and around the opposition penalty area, he can be quite frustrating. His final ball and his decision making can often be quite challenged, can, can often be quite um, poor or frustrating. But having said that, I th- I think that that in terms of his function in the team, he's doing exactly what Bielsa wants him to do. 
um, which is, as, as you said, is to kind of do what Samu, Samu Saez was doing in the early part of last season, which was to take the ball from the midfields or from, from the from the full-backs and to drive at the opposition um, and and to kind of pull people towards him, which create obviously creates space for other people around him. So um, I, I don't think we'll see a moment where he suddenly clicks into gear. I think there will be games where he is able to have his full-back on toast and there'll be others where he's where he's doubled up on and will really struggle to do that. But in terms of his primary function in the team, I think Tom's article proves that he's, he's doing that really, really well and to, to be else's satisfaction. One thing that I, I do always think of when I think of the way that, that Costa's played, and it doesn't get talked about much, is the way that um, actually when Leeds go long, they've, they've started doing well. They had done anyway before uh, the, the season sort of was pulled to a, an untimely um, break. But they, they, we were seeing this um, situation where where Bamford would pull out into the right right channel, and Cost would would get players a centre forward. We saw it against a mm. few teams when the Leeds were looking to capitalise on a high line, um, using Costa's pace uh, by by sort of playing the game, getting Casilla uh, to play the ball into the right channel um, towards Bamford and try and get Bamford to to sort of play it into the into the centre so that Costa could run onto it. Um, and I do think that you know there's there's a huge amount of uh, tactical stuff that goes on. Uh, with with Costa and it was it was great to read Tom's piece and um, find out all about that. But if you want to read that um, piece, we will um, we'll attach it to <clears throat> the show notes and we'll we'll link to it on social media as well. But it's on our Medium page. Um, and yeah, again, really urge you to to read that read that because it so much of it comes down to um, understanding what's going on in in terms of the tactic side of things um, behind Helder Costa's performances um, because in each <clears throat> in each team that he's played they've they've um, lined up in a different way and that's ultimately changed his um, his role in the team and the position that he's played so <clears throat> I do recommend that you go on to talk about that but I am conscious of time and I do want us to spend a, a little bit of time actually talking about the football because the football is imminently about to start we are playing Cardiff on Sunday and we were lucky enough to speak to Ben James of The View from the Ninian Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So I'm joined today by Ben James, who runs View from the Ninian. Ben, how are you doing? All good, thank you. How are you? I'm very good. The football is back. How are you feeling about that? <laughs> yeah, excited. Um, I kind of had gotten used to a world without football, and I think I'd um, kind of convinced myself that actually it didn't really mean that much to me. But um, I've got an extra spring in my step this week, knowing that we've got games back on Sunday. I've actually got a Sky subscription for the first time to actually watch some of the games. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. First things first, how are Cardiff fans feeling about the resumption of football? Because it's a bit, a bit of a funny topic, really. I, I, I don't know whether or not I've fully come to terms with it. So what would you say the general Cardiff um, approach to the resumption is? I think um, I think a lot of people are excited. I think there's, there's definitely a positive kind of outlook on things. Um, I think... You know, when you when you look at Twitter and stuff, a lot of people actually, I think, seem quite happy to be able to resume the kind of talking about the normal things again. I think for a while, when you know, when when it was first postponed, a lot of people didn't really know how to approach it. But now football's back. You have that kind of thing to look forward to. You can resume the usual conversations around injuries, tactics, um, transfers, and everything else. And I think there's there's definitely a positive view from the Cardiff fans that I think we've got nine games now and we can actually make a go of it and, and, and try and get into the playoffs because I think we're two points off the playoffs currently. So there's a there's a real chance that we could get back into that, that playoff frame. 
how did the break go for Cardiff? I mean, it, did it come at the right time or the wrong time for you? Were you on a run of momentum? How are you feeling about the, that, that sort of long break and how it will affect the team? I think there's, there's I think to be ever, ever diplomatic about this kind of thing, I think we, there's there's two ways to look at it. Um, I think before the break, we were two losses in 15 games. We'd just come off the back of a good win against Barnsley where we we played quite well and had a good attacking display. Um, but I think there was there was definitely a feeling of pessimism because we, we were going into this kind of last games with, at that time, with a, a couple of big injuries. Lee Tomlin was out. Nathaniel Lenders Mang, um, Mendes Lang, sorry, I call him Lenders Mang, it's a joke, um, <laughs> was um, was not back from injury just yet. And I think we were a bit kind of nervous about how that would impact things. Um, so I think it, it, it kind of disrupted our flow on one hand, but also it, it gave us some time to kind of recover from those injuries. And I actually think it kind of was helpful for Harris because obviously he came in halfway through a season, um, had never really had a, much time to maybe work on the players and, and speak to the players about its ethos. And I think with, with the long break, essentially a pre-season in terms of, of, of how long it's been, I think we could have we could maybe see Harris has been behind the scenes talking to the players a bit more and trying to express his ideas to them a little bit more. And that, that could actually help us in going into these final few games. Mm. Talk us briefly through the season then. How's the season gone so far for Cardiff? Uh, it's been very up and down. I think um, it started with a lot of promise. We we seemed to sign well in the summer with players like Aidan Flint, Will Volks coming in, um, Robert Glatzel coming in from Germany. And I think we were all very excited that we'd managed to keep people like Bobby Reed. And then first game of the season comes along within along and we lose. And within a few games, uh, a few days of that, Bobby Reed's left as well. And I think we were kind of a bit disappointed by that point. But even under Warnock at that stage, we, we were kind of winning some games, losing the odd game here and there. Um, and I think when Warnock left, it was it was the right decision, um, even though it was disappointing. I think he should have gone in the summer, really. I don't think his heart was in this season, um, you know, beyond the first couple of games. Um, if you look at the league table, I think we've only lost uh, one more game than you guys, and you guys are top. Um, Harris has come in and we've we've had some good results, some really bad results. Uh, you know, I think the the six one loss at QPR on New Year's Day stands out. Um, but we're we're still in the hunt for the playoffs, so it's one of those weird seasons really that maybe hasn't lived up to expectations. Um, we're still in the hunt for playoffs, only two points out of it, and there's a real chance that we could get in there. So, despite the disappointment, I think it it, it could transpire that we've we've had a good season. Mm. It would be remiss of us to not talk about that 3-3 <laughs> draw earlier in the season. Um, yeah. I think it's it's hard for Leeds fans to talk about that game um, because I think we will will always be coloured by the fact that we, we felt as though we'd been harshly um, <laughs> mistreated by the result. But what, what was your uh, take on the game? How did you uh, go go about assessing that after the fact? <laughs> I mean, it's it's one of those games. I think that you you just chalk it up to a bit of a mad day at the office, really, don't you? I think um, we were two 0 down after ten minutes, and I think that we we'd kind of made a habit of doing that at, at that point in the season. We were even doing it later, and you know, I think after that game, we we played Brentford, I think, in February, and we went two 0 down within twenty five minutes against them. Um, so it was it was kind of like when we went two 0 down, and then obviously you scored quite early on in the second half. We'd we'd written the game off at that point. We just accepted mm-hmm. that it was going to be another another classic Neil Harris performance. But then I think. I think when you've got a player like Lee Tomlin in your your starting lineup, you you know you can expect a little bit of magic here and there. And he he pulled it out of the bag really with that um, incredible lob um, over your keeper and then the, the the assist for the third goal, which I still mm. think is, you know, whether he meant it or not is is another question. But it was an outrageous bit of skill. Mm. Um, and I think when you look back at it, we I think I think a lot of Cardiff fans recognised that we got away with something there because you know Morrison got sent off. We had I think if you look at the stats, three shots on target all game, and they all seemed to go in. Um, so I think it was just one of those things we we were very uh, appreciative of the fact that we we got very lucky and I think we were just happy to kind of you know it, it always seems to be that Cardiff are the thorn in Leeds side um, and I think we were just more than happy to keep that mm. kind of um, that record up really as much as we probably didn't deserve the the, the, the point at all. Hmm. I want to talk a little bit about tactics. I realise that it's very hard to know what's going to happen <laughs> um, going into this game, um, but obviously last in the last game in the three-three draw, you played a sort of four-four-one-one, which actually I rewatched it this week, and um, Tomlin actually played very, very deep um, for the, the yeah. second striker and almost ended up as as a left winger. Uh, and Rolls was playing a lot more narrow. Um, your midfield was very narrow as it as it is. Do you expect Neil Harris to set things up again the same this weekend, or do you think that the, the, you'll see some sort of different tactical approaches given that he's had so long to to work with the team and think about it outside of that? I'd hope we would play a little bit more expansive. Really, I think that the system we kind of play is. 
it's one of those weird systems that in attack it can be like a four three three because mm-hmm. we have um two wingers who push up um but if we're if we're defending it becomes a flatter four five one um and i think um you know when we played against Barnsley, for example it was definitely a flatter of the uh, formation because tomlin was out we played three pure central midfielders there which was volks uh, bakuna and and Rals, um behind the the striker really so it was more flatter in, in that sense um i don't think he'll change the way he plays too much i think it, it it'll be in the same vein as we do play i think we'll we'll play a striker and tomlin i think is back fit um, so I can imagine he'll come straight back in and, and slot in behind the strikers. Um, it's just kind of, I think we set up to absorb the the football really, and we don't really play it with the ball in possession. I think if you look at our stats and, and looking back at certainly the Barnsley game, which we attacked very well, but we didn't really hold the ball. I think we were around 40% possession. I think that just tends to be it. We we, we, we don't pass the ball around too much. We, we try and just be more direct in our attacking. And I think that that's not really going to change under Harris unless something drastic has happened in the last three months, but I, I can't really see it changing. So you expect it to be sort of sit deep, absorb the pressure and try and hit on the counter-attack then? Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, the, the last game I saw in person was the, the Luton away game. Um, and we, we won that game 1-0. Um, and even though Luton are very much scrapping around at the bottom, they seem to do more than us in possession. Um, but we, we, we just did that. We absorbed them for the full sort of uh, 60, 70 minutes, went up the other end. Tomlin had a shot, went in, and that was the game, really. And I think, um, you know, Leeds are, a, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll come to this with your attacking players and your attacking threat. I think we know that you're going to cause us danger. And I think we'll we'll set up at least for the first 20 minutes, 30 minutes, try and absorb as much as we can and then and then see what we can do on the break and see what we can do with, you know, if we play people like Hoyler and Murphy on the wings, we've got pace there. And I think it's just a case of, of getting them to the bylines and balls into the box to, to whichever striker will be in there. Hmm. Neil Harris is a bit of a bugbear for Leeds. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of Leeds fans uh, were glad to see the back of him at Millwall. Um, and I feel as though a lot of Leeds fans just think he's going to f- slot into that same sort of role at Cardiff and play the same mm-hmm. sort of football, um, cause us problems and, and uh, likely get away with it. Um, he obviously has that good record against Leeds and against Bielsa as well. Do you think there's an explanation for this or do you think it's just a weird coincidence? Well, I think he picked the perfect club in Cardiff then in that sense because we've got a, a seem to have a, a hoodoo over you to some degree and I think he's he's coming in. If he's got a mini hoodoo over you, then hopefully it combines to make a an extra special hoodoo or something like that. <laughs> but um, I don't know really. I think it's I think it's the way Harris plays. I think, you know, Bielsa plays very attacking, fluid football and, you know, you, you pass it around very well. You're attacking numbers and you're, you know, you're, you're quite quite good to watch in that sense and I think the way Harris plays is just tries to frustrate the game and I think you know I think in that in that three all draw perhaps we got lucky in a sense that you went three nil up after 50 odd minutes and I took your, your your foot off the pedal and that's where maybe we, we can be dangerous because we have that pace because we play off the back foot really you kind of maybe don't expect us to to come at you in when we're already three nil down and I think that's maybe where Harris gets success and I think it, it it's probably a bit of both really I think a lot of these things don't really have a reason for them. And I think Harris is just uh, likes playing against Leeds. But I do think the way he plays is this kind of absorbing of the pressure, absorbing of the pressure and then catch you on the break. And I think mm-hmm. it works. It might work well against a team like Bielsa's because you guys are simply all out attack. And once you kind of go behind or maybe um, it doesn't work out for you in one way, you, you don't necessarily have that quick to turn to plan B. Well, I think uh, the way we play can be effective against all sides because it is purely on the break. Mm. So which players on the lead squad are you wary of as as the weekend approaches? I think I've, I've picked th- I've picked three players here and I think um one of them is just you know he's he's formerly of Swansea so it it might get me in trouble by <laughs> saying this but I think Pablo Hernandez is is kind of going through a bit of a renaissance at Leeds. Um I think he he's very dangerous on the ball. Uh, he he is a lot of what makes you tick and I think we we would be remiss to kind of um ignore him in that sense. I think Bamford got a couple against us. Um in in the three all draw, I think he goes through kind of lean spells and and kind of um, periods where he scores a lot of goals. And I think he's he's just one of those strikers that will always seem to score against us. It's kind of like what I used to get on Football Manager. Players would be thirteen games without a goal, but they always scored against me. And I feel like Bamford's like that with Cardiff. Mm. Um, and I, I like your I like Jack Harrison on the wings. I think he's um, he he does really well for you. And I think he's um, he's exactly the kind of winger that we we don't like really. He's He's aggressive. He, he gets to the byline. He gets balls in, mm. and he's just got quality at the end of it. And I think we should be um, we should be doing the best we can to kind of neutralise his threat. And which players would you say that our listeners should look out for uh, on Sunday? 
So I've, I've mentioned him a few times already. I think Lee Tomlin, if he's back in the squad, is um, he's a, a thorn in anyone's side, really. I think that we're seeing the best of him now after a couple of years of, of him being in the wilderness. Um, he's just magic. I think I... Mm. You know, I think he's he's responsible for so many of our goals this year, whether he scores them or has a hand in them, and and the kind of flicks and stuff he does is, you know, it's it's Messi esque at times, as as much as he isn't consistent or as good as Lionel Messi. <laughs> um, and then I think on the wings, I, like, I really like Josh Murphy. He was coming into a bit of form before the break happened. He's a bit up and down, a bit hit and miss, but when he's on it, he's. I mean, he he started the last season in the Premier League like a train, and I think there were a few clubs who who didn't really know how to deal with him because he's very direct, very quick, and very skillful. Um, and then I think if if we're looking up top, I think Callum Patterson is is the kind of player that will just do anyone anyone's head in. He's um, got quality. He really doesn't stop running. He really doesn't stop battling for the ball, and he seems to score no matter what. I think his his first goal for us was a slide tackle that went in, and he he's converted himself from a right back to a striker. And I think he's just um, he's just a bit of a bully boy, really. And I think um, Leeds defenders might struggle against him. Hmm. What about injury wise? What are you looking at in terms of the squad health? Is it is it looking okay? Yeah, I think I think as I said at the top, the the break has kind of done us well in that sense. Nathaniel Mendes Lang's coming back. He was out for a, a long term injury, and now the season's been extended. He's he's making his way back into the squad. Uh, Lee Tomlin was was looking like he was going to miss the running, but obviously the the break has, has sped up his recovery, and I think he was back training with the full squad last week, which puts him really in contention for Sunday's game. And we've also got a few players like Greg Cunningham, who we'd loaned out earlier this season at left back, and he did his cruciate ligaments, and all of a sudden now with the season extended he's, he's back training with the squad as well and I think you know it's we're, we're not currently I don't think really missing any key players and we've actually managed to bring back two or three players who could really bolster us going into the the final run of game so I think we're in, we're in rude health as they say hmm. I haven't put this in the running order but I wonder if you might be able to <laughs> hazard a, sort of, uh, a starting 11 roughly yeah I think the, the way it's gone and the way it was looking like before was I think um, we, we, we start with Smithies in goals um, we've been playing Morrison and Nelson at centre-backs um, and Morrison's our captain obviously he was sent off against you guys left-back will probably be Joe Bennett right-back will um, probably be Dion Sanderson um guy we've got on loan from Wolves in central midfield I can imagine Volks and Rolls starting probably behind Tomlin if Rolls doesn't start or Volks doesn't start then Bakuna might play in there um, and then on the wings we, we were playing Albert Adoma on the right wing but I, I'm not clear if he's still going to stay because he was on loan um, I'm not really sure they, they've not confirmed either way whether that was going to happen so mm. if it's not Adoma it'll be someone like Hoylett and then on the other wing I can imagine it'll be Murphy or Mendes Lang if Mendes Lang is it but probably Murphy because we don't want to risk Mendes Lang and then striker it'll be, it'll be between one of Patterson and Glatzel I can imagine it'll be Patterson um, but you know Glatzel scored against you guys so maybe Harrison will fav- uh, Harris will favour him in that sense and I don't particularly like asking people for uh, predictions for the scoreline, but how do you think the game will go? What do you expect the game to look like? I think I think it's gonna it's it's a really weird one, right? Because it's the first game behind closed doors. It's the first game of this new normal of football, um, and I wonder if that's going to have an impact on things. Mm-hmm. I can imagine it'll be quite cagey to start. I think both teams will, you know, not necessarily be rushing to kind of uh, rush out the blocks because it's the first game of a, a run of nine. There's there's a lot of considerations there around injuries and things like that. I think it'll be a draw. I, I don't think either side will win. I think I can I can see it being one all or two all. Um, and I think maybe after the first half an hour, the game will open up a little bit and we'll see a bit more kind of free-flowing football from either side. And I'm, I'm actually interested, really interested to see how the bigger squads and the, the more substitutions impact things. Because I can imagine that mm. if if it's still nil-nil at half time and, you know, you've got two, I think it's two extra substitutions that might be... Um, wrong on that one but you know if you've got extra substitutions to use you, you can change the game a bit more readily and I think that's going to have a bearing on things and, and, and how it goes but yeah I can see a draw and I can see it being quite a quite an interesting game of football even even if it starts slowly Ben thanks so much for your time and enjoy the game on Sunday cheers you too so that was Ben James from View from the Ninian uh, talking about Cardiff City um, it I hope you guys enjoyed that. It really got me fired up for the game. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Uh, before we jump into the discussion of of, the, of of Cardiff, I just wanted to just talk a little bit about the the tactics of what happened last time. Um, I, uh, before we start, really, we should probably have some kind of conversation about 
what the the links are going to be between before and after covid in in football um i listened to not the top 20 podcast this week and they they sort of did a bit of a preview for the return of the championship and they spent a lot of time talking about you know what what's the impact going to be on fitness what's the impact going to be on sharpness what's going to happen in terms of um you know players even players being motivated to play um if you're a mid-table it's a side and you're playing for nothing and you're being forced to go back to work when it's potentially unsafe. What kind of impact will that have on the way that you play? Um, so we'll talk about that first, but I'll just say what we all know the, the craziness of the 3-3 draw um, last time around. But in terms of the tactics, Leeds started as a as a 4-1-4-1, which I thought was interesting. Um, we can talk about this later on, but um, usually when Leeds play against a team that... Um, uh, functions features two attackers will tend to play a back three. Um, Cardiff City played what I think a lot of people would call a four four two, but I think it actually ended up looking quite. Um, it ended up looking much much more like a four five one. Got the infamous Lee Tomlin playing pretty much as a second striker, and actually what we saw in the game was the Cardiff midfield actually playing very narrow, and Tomlin almost dropping in as a left winger at times. So I think as a result of that, Bielsa clearly recognised that Cardiff were going to use Ward as a as a target man. And so he only went with the, the back two. At the same time, Liam Cooper was injured as well. So um, that might have, in, <clears throat> might have intru- influenced his decision to play uh, a back three. This is what, what we can talk about. But as Tom's already alluded to today, I think we're going to expect Cardiff to play in a similar way. So quite, quite deep um, and then quite narrow through the middle um, in order to break up Leeds um, in, in the central areas. Um, and so it will be interesting, I think, to see how Leeds play in the wide areas, uh, whether or not they can make anything of that. Um, but we will we will see whether or not that Cardiff City will be as expansive as, as Ben suggested. I don't know. Um and part of the, I think part of the issue is we just have no idea what's going to happen. So with all this in mind, let's start off with that first question then. What changes in post-COVID football? What are we going to expect um, that in terms of continuity between the first half of the season and then this sort of second mini season? What do you think, Darren? I think we'll see much the same from Leeds. I think we'll, we'll try and continue to play at the high intensity that we always do. I think we'll try and control the ball. Um, I think that if if I think there are some statistics around the ball being in play more, I think that will probably suit suit us. Um, I think that some of the changes around, um, obviously with no crowd there, there's no there's no kind of there won't be any muggings of the crowd. There won't be as much time wasting. Um, I, I think again those things those things will suit us. Um, how Cardiff come back? I don't know. I I. I I, I suspect that Neil Harris will have them relatively well prepared, but if you think about someone like Lee Tomlin, who's just coming back from um, coming coming back from quite a long term or medium term injury, you, you have to wonder whether he's going to have ninety minutes in it, in his legs, um, and he, he obviously caused us all sorts of problems um, or two two isolated problems more probably more accurately in the previous game so yeah it'd be really interesting to see they've they've got Mendes Lang and Tomlin back who were both out for the rest of the season um previously so and and, and they they were probably two of their best performers in an attacking point of view on the day last time I'll pass this over to you Joe what, what are you expecting to be different in in post-covid environment something that I've uh, thought about the past couple of days is um is the impact of, of the fans. Um, quite often at Ellen Road, we see teams set up really, really deep and pretty much play for a draw and time waste from the, you know, the first 10, 15 minutes. Um, and then what we've occasionally found is when we go away from home, there's a bit more onus on the, on the home team to sort of come out and play because they got 20-odd thousand fans who've worked hard and paid good money to see them play and they they should be entertained because football is is about entertainment really at the end of the day um but the fact that there's no fans in in the ground anymore i, I think we could see teams just relentlessly sitting deeper and cuz you know no fans are going to care if they have 30 percent possession or or the fans won't be there to sort of boo them or get on their backs so it's it's a bit of a worry actually that I think uh, I'm expecting to see Cardiff really sit deep and sort of stick with stick with that from from the first whistle. 
Yeah, there's been some interesting um, research being done on the Bundesliga in particular on this regard. And I think they found that with the absence of fans, referees actually a lot more what you would expect to I guess what you what you might call balanced. Um, they're more likely to give fouls to the away side than they were, I think. Um, although apparently, I don't think penalties and offside decisions have changed that much. But there's certain things where it's clear that the referee is less less influenced by uh, the crowd. So it should be really interesting to see what happens from that point of view. Um, Tom, let's talk a little bit about fitness because, again, this is another thing that's been talked about a lot. Um, there's a lot of people who say who talk about Leeds as being. Um, one being one of the fittest teams in the division but also too there's a lot of talk um, often about uh, burnout when it comes to Bielsa um, there's there's also this sort of added um, uh, variable that you have to take into account which is that Leeds tend to start off um, their seasons quite strongly um, and so if you consider that this is maybe a mini season will that mean that Leeds will come out all guns blazing and and um, just sort of power on through through the first games um, but then there's also uh, I guess the counter argument that you know Leeds haven't really had a proper break since the, the beginning of the last season so sort of the end of June um, and yeah it's yeah it's a it's a question of uh, of, of what we're going to expect Leeds to look like in terms of their performance um, in in a sort of um, fitness sense. So, have you got any thoughts on that? So, I've, I think I don't know who picked up on it earlier, but like the the ball uh, being in play more almost makes it like a a murderball line um, match. So you'd think we Leeds are one of the fittest teams anyway, um, but with with uh, the ball in play more, you'd think we'd probably uh, pick teams off later when they started to get tired. And I don't know about Leeds haven't played any friendlies. I don't know if Cardiff have. Um, but I think the the lack of match mat sharpness might be another factor in the first couple of games. Um, matches always, t- I don't know about you, matches tend to be cagey. I think with the leads in the first 20 minutes, they try and figure out opposition teams. And I think we might see, I think the first 30 minutes could potentially be really boring as teams sort of try and get back into it from a match sharpness, but also just figuring each other out. Let's talk about the tactics side of things. And I mentioned uh, last time around we played 4 one 4 one uh, against a four four two, I wonder whether or not anyone is expecting Leeds to be playing three at the back. I mentioned last time that there was no Cooper, so we had Berardi and White as centre backs. I guess which was a which is a small issue um, when it comes to playing three at the back. And that was actually in the game we saw Pascal Stroik coming on and and sort of being wrong footed by by Tomlin's touch for the final goal. Anyone think that three at the back is is likely here? I'll throw this one open to to anyone who's got any thoughts. No, I think I think we'll see pretty much tactically a very similar setup from both teams to the previous game. Um, Tomlin was picked up by Phillips for, for for the majority of the previous match because he was sitting that bit deeper, which I think explains why we didn't play with three at the back. Although they kind of had a notional two up front last time. Um, interesting. I noticed something last time. What they did is they played rolls out on the left hand side, but but let him drift inside, which took Ailing with him in our man-marking system quite often, which I think is why you saw Tomlin drifting out to the left a lot more. Um, and I wonder whether we'll see a repeat of that. But basically, I think what we'll see is is Cardiff trying to sit deep, um, trying to hit us on the transition with their, their quick wingers, and um, you'll see Cooper going man-for-man man on whatever centre-forward they've got and and Ben White playing the spare man and mopping up around him. I was just thinking, you know, Ailing's ability to play as an inverted fullback is is remarkable, and I I just caught I can't remember where I saw it, but somewhere on social media they just played, I think it maybe in the Leeds channel, but they played the the Ailing goal against Huddersfield, that that was the goal at the beginning of that game before the before the cancellation came in, and it was just remarkable how central he come he comes from for that. If you watch that back and you see, because obviously mm. you see him at the back post, raise his hand and then and then just nip in and get the that just incredible shot away. But if you actually watch. From the beginning, when when Harrison's about to cross the ball in, if you see how central he actually comes uh, in terms of his positioning, it's it's actually remarkable, and it's something again that you you've noted there, uh, Darren, that actually because of Rolls coming so central, you see Ailing um, uh, drift drifting quite quite centrally in that in that game, and yeah, like you say, that creates a lot of space for then Tomlin to 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 move into. But I'm going to do a tactics um, thread on Twitter for this. Um, and I've got um, the average positions for, for the two teams. And if you look at that, uh, basically 
yeah, in, in, at least in a in a sort of possession position, um, you see Cardiff playing with the back four, and then basically a, a midfield five with Tomlin as a left winger, mm. and then Ward as the, as the focal point of the attack. So uh, it will be interesting to see if that's replicated as well. Let's talk quickly about the setup. Um, we've got a question from Liam Horsley, who says, if everyone apart from Forshaw and JKA is fit for Cardiff, what would your starting 11 be and what would your bench be? So let's let's just throw that one out um, uh, to, to to anyone. Uh, Joe, let's go with you, actually. Um, so what, what's, what are you sort of thinking in terms of the, in terms of the setup? So I did draft a, a starting 11, I've gone very Bielsa in that it's exactly the same as the uh, as the last game. So we've got um, Meslier in goal, Ailing, White, Cooper, Dallas, um, Phillips holding, and then Costa, Hernandez, Click, Harrison, and Bamford up front. So pretty pretty standard. Um, in terms of the bench, I think there's nine allowed on on the bench now. So just everyone else then. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I was uh, I, I put in Capriel, Alioski, Douglas, Berardi, Shackleton, Roberts, and then there was and then I realised there was a few spares, so just uh, chucked in Paveda, Stevens, and McCalmont. Anyone disagree with that? Anyone got any big changes that they would make? I think the ch- the change would come if Hernandez was injured. I I personally would play Roberts if Hernandez was injured but if not I can't I can't disagree with the, t- the team that Joe said the bench is just whoever has impressed in murder ball that week I think to be honest <laughs> I think the starting 11 is, is is pretty much set just exactly as Joe said and that would be almost exactly the same starting 11 actually that we played yeah. in the 3-3 draw with the exception of Casilla not in goal and Berardi uh, being replaced by Cooper um, and I think that's exactly the same um Let's talk quickly then about the the way that we expect the game to go. You've already mentioned, Tom, that you think it's going to be quite cagey at the beginning. Um, is this going to be a game where we think Leeds are going to come into their own in the second half? Or do you think it could be... I mean, just thinking back to the last few games, obviously we, we had that run of momentum where we were just picking teams off uh, either early on or, or late. And it was either felt fairly comfortable or it felt as though it was going to be a nightmare afternoon with a late goal. So which which way round do we think this one's going to go, Darren? I think we're going to come out quick. I, th- I think we'll really go for them in the first 10 or 20 um, and try and catch them cold and try and catch them warming up. And I think we'll be successful in doing so. Anyone else got any different takes on that? I am going to disagree with that. I think it'll probably be nil-nil half-time and I'd like to think we'd get them late, but I don't know if it's just from listening back to the piece that you did, John, that I'm now really nervous. <laughs> but um, I just I can't see us sort of coming out quickly like we would after a full pre-season. I think it's just because of the, diff- cause of the different way um, it's been. I'd expect it to be a cagey and then... I think we'll get them late, just on fitness mainly. I should have mentioned Neil Harris because I think he's a bit of a bogeyman for us. So I'll do that now. How worried are we about about Neil Harris as a as an opposition manager? Um, a little bit, but I think the other thing is that Alex Alex Smithies is likely to be in goal for them. So if if the if the Harris voodoo works for us, then Alex Smithies throwing one in against us like he inevitably does will also count. <laughs> so it's going to cancel it out then. Yeah, I don't like asking for a prediction in terms of score because I just don't think it's particularly worthwhile um, feel free to add one if you want but um, what do we think in terms of, uh, of of the result so Joe what do you reckon I'm going to go for a Leeds win Ben on the opposition view was pretty set it was going to be a draw but um, I think given that I expect Leeds to be much fitter than Cardiff and they've only I think they only played 80 minutes uh, in their friendly against Swansea so I'm gonna I'm gonna back us to get the win, Tom. Yeah, I think we'll win as well. I, I'm gonna say two nil. Gonna be bold and go for a scoreline, <laughs> Darren. Yeah, I agree with Tom on the scoreline. Um, I think that one of the things that won't happen is we won't see the substitutions unsettling the team like we did in the, in the game at home, and um, particularly because the the natural replacement for Bamford this time is going to be Tyler Roberts instead of Enketia. Um, and I think I think we lost quite a bit of shape, and our press fell apart a little bit when when Bamford went off in the home game. So I'm, I'm anticipating a reasonably comfortable afternoon. Although when I make predictions like that, it does have a tendency to come back and bite me. You know, that's just how it goes. <laughs> 
Well, we will be back after the Cardiff game with a roundup of what happens. Hopefully we'll all be happy, but I think we'll be recording a podcast on the Monday to, to look back over that. So hopefully a lot of the predictions that we've had will have not been that far from the, uh, the case. Quickly, before we end, we've got some listener questions. First up, the trainee at RQT asks the perennial question about midfield, but with a bit of a twist. So could Lewis Cook and Calvin Phillips work as a midfield two for us next year, hypothetically? Yes, it would definitely work, but that would mean having to drop click or foreshore, which would just be stupid. So less, we don't need to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say you could play Lewis Cook and play Calvin Phillips either side of him. <laughs> as in, on both sides. <laughs> Johnny asks, five subs good for us or better for others? I don't think it'll affect us. I think Bielsa probably will just he'd play the same 11 for 90 minutes if he can. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think in that sense, it's probably more of an advantage for the opponent who can sort of bring on fresh legs and Bielsa will just carry on doing whatever he likes. I can't come to a conclusion on this. I keep thinking it'll, it won't make a difference and that, that if people do make mass substitutions, that it'll unsettle their, their starting 11 and that'll be an advantage for us. But I think that's one that's just going to have to play out and we'll, we'll, we can come back to it later. Do we think that Bielsa will make all five subs in any game? No. I predict in one game he'll turn a game around by making an extravagant number of substitutions, but just in one. <laughs> That's a fun game. Anyone else got any raises on one? I think we're more likely to see no subs than, than all five. I've <laughs> <laughs> got a question from Perth White. He says, how does Bielsa's first two years points totals compared to Leeds managers and current uh, Premier League managers at their current club? Uh, Darren, you looked into this a little bit and you, you decided to go with... Uh, win percentage rather than points totals for obvious reasons so what did you find uh bielsa is is in terms of win percentage is our most uh successful manager with 54 percent uh, ahead of don don revy on 53 percent i think there are a number of factors which which kind of make that a slightly unfair comparison um in that that revy managed um when there were there were two points a game when the pitches were terrible when the the back pass law was in. Um, I also did a quick look at the Premier League um, this year. So um, Jurgen Klopp's win percentage at Liverpool is about 60.5%. And I didn't look at any other of the, the Premier League managers, but I did kind of have a quick look at the league table this year. And um, a 40% win percentage this season gets you top five. And a 50% win percentage this season gets you challenging in and around the top four, top three. So um be interesting to see whether next season uh, Bielsa can keep up the same win percentage and, and what that looks like in terms of our final league position. And then finally, from Huncho, a question about culinary um, aspects of Marcelo Bielsa. So if you had to provide Bielsa with a homemade sandwich, a packet of crisps, a chocolate bar and a drink, what would be your choices? The sandwich must contain at least three fillings and you must specify the type of bread. Choose wisely, as I'd imagine Marcelo is very particular. Has anyone got anything on this? Good socialist multi-pack food would be my prediction. (laughs) (laughs) Or Boots meal deal, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. If you've got to specify the type of bread, um, I'll go for the uh, the hearty Italian Subway <laughs> bread. I think I think he'll lap that up. Yeah, and then you've got to have steak on it, presumably. He's a good Argentine, so a bit of steak. Oh, yeah. With steak, you've got to add cheese, right? Yeah. And then some kind of lubrication on the sandwich, so I don't know what that would be. Mustard, mayo, any salad? No, no salad, no salad. It just falls out, doesn't it? <laughs> So I think for the crisps, he'd probably go for like um, a Smith's salt and shake, I think, for some reason. I think he'd, he'd, <laughs> oh, really? he'd kind of go quite quite plain on that. And then what was it, chocolate bar and a drink? I think he'll go down the James Milner route of having a Ribena. I can't see him having anything <laughs> uh, anything stronger than that. He's a very modest man. <laughs> he might go for a coffee, considering how much time he spends in Costa. True. What's that stuff he drinks by the pitch? Mate, uh, isn't it? Uh, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, yeah, that's the stuff. Yeah. So we could have that, and then I don't know, chocolate bar boost, maybe something like that, boost, an energy yeah. bar. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. I think we between us, we've we've pretty much sorted out his lunch there. <laughs> I think he would be proud of that. Apart from maybe maybe Darren's boots meal deal. <laughs> right. It's unfortunately the end of this podcast, but we have football on the horizon. Next time that we record a 
full weekly podcast, we will have had the first game. Just in terms of housekeeping, next week we were going to have, I think, two podcasts. We're going to split it into. We'll have one looking back at the Cardiff result in in more detail, and then one previewing the Fulham one. They may be slightly shorter than than usual, but I think it's just easier doing it that way. We also have a couple of bonus episodes out this week. I'm speaking to. A uh, friend of the podcast, David Anderson, on Thursday morning. So hopefully we'll get that out for your commute home on Thursday. Um, and what we're going to do is we're just going to look under the surface at the the promotion battle, essentially. Who's going to go up automatically? Who's going to be in the playoff spots? What we should expect from each team? David is a Brentford fan and he will have lots of interesting things to say as as well. So hopefully we'll, that'll be a nice chance to have a, a less leeds biased view of what, what's going on at the top of the table. So that will be out on Thursday. Uh, also on Thursday, Josh is interviewing, uh, or being interviewed by, I should say, Graham Smith about his replacement for Pablo Hernandez series. That will be going up on our Patreon account. If you're interested in that, you can find that at patreon.com forward slash we. Any support that you give us is, is very helpful. We do have a, a fairly heavy hefty outlay in terms of paying for data but that's all for now until then enjoy the game be safe don't go to ellen road at any point and we will see you again next week guys thanks for coming on and look forward to chatting to you next week cheers cheers see you next time It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.